Today we're in part four of the 40 days of, of uh, prayer, and we're in a series called uh, Praying and Praying, get, just getting to the bottom of what prayer is. It's not about praying, it's about understanding why God has given us this gift of prayer. And today's title is Praying in Five Dimensions. Pray, praying in Five Dimensions. We know one dimension, that's a single line. We know two dimensions, that's length and width and height. We know three dimensions, that's depth as well. People are juggling with the fourth dimension, thinking that it might have an uh, element of time. Then there is the fifth dimension that honestly nobody knows what it is all about. But we just know that it is there. Because after four comes, yeah, so it's got to be there. There's got to be something beyond this life. Everybody knows that there's something beyond this life. Something more than me. Something more than the pain. Than something more than what we see over here. There's got to be something greater, something further, something beyond. The same is true of God. God is a multi-dimensional God. And if God created that world that we believe is more than just the three-dimensional, the four-dimensional, then God is present because he's omnipresent. He is present to all those dimensions. Are you with me? If God is present to all those dimensions, he's present to what you can see and he's present to what you cannot see. Get it? He's present to what you control and he's present to what you cannot control. Get it? So he's present to time and he's present to eternity. God is a multi-dimensional God. We see it in creation. We see it in creation. If you look at creation, you'll see the multi-dimensionality of God right there. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, if you look at the screens, if you don't have your Bibles with you, since the creation of the world, ever since God spoke creation into existence, his invisible qualities, got that? His what? His invisible qualities. So there's got to be something apart from God I cannot see. His eternal power, for instance, his divine nature, for instance, have been clearly seen. There's evidence of it here in this world, in what he has made. So what we cannot see is, is somewhat evident in what we can see. Why? So that men are without excuse. So that men are without excuse. There is evidence. Job chapter 11. So even Job, the first book written chronologically in the Bible, the first guy to process this whole theology stuff, even he figured it out. He said this, can you fathom the limits and bounds of the greatness and the power of God? The sky is no limit of God, but it lies beyond your reach. God knows the world, the world of the dead, but you do not know it. God's greatness is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. Everybody's feeling it. There's something bigger, something greater, something beyond. When we were children, we would lie in the grass, look at the sky, and sometimes I'd feel, I'm not falling down, I'm falling towards the sky. There's got to be some, you know, immensity that's just of that sky there. You see it in God's creation. You also see it in Jesus' incarnation. You see it in Jesus' incarnation. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. The word became what? Flesh. The word became human and lived among us. He walked among us. He talked among us. We saw his glory and he was full of grace and truth. So even Jesus was multidimensional in the fact that he entered into his own creation. He made it look like you could see him, you could touch him. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday and today, forever. Did you know that? Do you know anybody else like that who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yeah, somebody just told me I'd put on weight two minutes ago. So last week I wasn't the same, right? We are always changing in the dimension in which we live in. 
Jesus is neither bound by space, nor is he bound by time. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That includes kind of everything. That's multidimensional. That's multidimensional. We see it in the spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit. The multidimensionality of God. The way the Spirit of God moves, the way the Spirit of God works, we see it over there. John chapter 3 verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. That's the way it works with with those who are born again. The Holy Spirit is working in a way beyond our sight, beyond our dimensions. Job 9, 10, 11 says, He does wonders that cannot be understood. He does so many miracles they cannot be counted. When he passes me, I can't see him. And when he goes by me, I don't recognize him. I don't recognize God doing something in my life. There's stuff happening around me. There's stuff happening in people's lives. I don't get it. I don't know. There's something going on that's a lot bigger, a lot greater than what I can control. God is in every dimension. God is in every dimension all the time. He's in the spirit realm. He's in our world. He's at Sarojini Nagar. He's at the mall. He's at the exam. He's at the red light. He's even at the metro station. He's in our minds. He's in our hearts. And he connects with every aspect of our reality. That means you are not multidimensional. I mean, you are, but not all the way to fifth. You know what I'm saying? But any dimension you may pick to live in, God is present to you. God is present to you. What does that mean? That means that that should give you a complete and total assurance that you're never alone. That you are never alone. Write that down. Because God is multidimensional, I am never alone. That is both scary and comforting. The psalmist tongue-in-cheek says, where can I go to hide from you? Try play hide-and-seek with God, doesn't work. Psalm 139 verse 7 through 12, where could I go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence? If I went to heaven, you'd be there, dimension. If I lay in the world of the dead beyond the grave, you'd be there, dimension. If I flew away beyond the east and lived in the farthest place of the west, dimension, you'd be there. You'd be there to lead me. You'd be there to help me. You'd be there to guide me. I could ask the darkness, come cover me so God doesn't see me. Oh, you'd be there. Right in the darkness, you'd be there. And the night is as bright as day to you because no matter where I am, you're there. That's why we don't play hide and seek with God. We don't play hide and seek with God. We don't, we don't play that game. So, since God is multidimensional and he's everywhere, you can talk to him about any dimension, you can talk to him about everything. You get the premise here? If God is in every dimension, if he's everywhere, if he's present to every aspect of your reality, even that which you cannot see, that which you cannot control, you can still pray about that. Because God is present there, God is in control of that dimension as well. If there's anything in your life, controllable or uncontrollable, Feeling or otherwise, understood or, misun- or, or without, beyond understanding, God can control. So let's get practical. Let's get practical. This is what I was rushing towards. There is no place you've been, there's no place you're, you've, you are, there's no place you're going that God isn't present to. So five dimensions of your life you can pray about. 
Five areas of your life. Five ways you can pray about. Five places you can pray about. Number one. Number one, the first dimension is you look back. You look back at the cross. You look back at the time that the Lord Jesus died. When he went to the cross and he gave his life for you. This is a good place to start by looking back. Don't stay there. Don't stay in your past. But look back. Why do you do that? Because it gives you an attitude of gratitude. It gets you perspective. It gives you reason to go forward, a reason to move, a reason to live. When I look back at the cross, I remember when the bill was paid. When I look back at the cross, it reminds me of three things. Number one, how deeply God loves me because nobody has paid a price like that for me. Nobody has put a price tag on my life like that for me, ever. So I remember how deeply I'm loved. I remember how costly evil is that when I choose to sin, it doesn't just cost me, it costs everybody around me. How completely I am forgiven, that when God forgives, it covers me and covers everybody around me. Everybody with me so far? Yes? When I look back, I get three things. Number one, how much, how deeply, how intensely God has loved me. How costly evil and sin is, that that is the price Jesus had to pay. And then, of course, how completely I am forgiven. Look at this beautiful verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. I'm looking at the New, New Living Translation. Might be slightly different to what you're familiar with. Here's what it says. God paid a ransom. God paid a ransom. Usually, paying a ransom is giving in, isn't it? You remember the movie Ransom? I'm not paying a ransom. I'm not paying it, no. I double it. I'll tell oh, that was so cool. But God went ahead and paid it. Because that's how much he wanted you back. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ. The sinless, spotless lamb of God. He didn't give it money. He didn't give it bulls and goats. He sent his very own son. He took care of that sin factor for you. When it came to the most important thing. And that is reconciling you to himself. He didn't leave that to anybody else. If you're not a Christian here this morning. I'm talking right to you. If you have a different faith or you're an atheist, I'm talking straight at you right now. God loved you so much that when it came to the matter of reconciling you to himself, he didn't come up with a religion. He didn't pay anybody else to do it. He didn't leave it even to you. He took care of it himself. That's how much he loves you. That is how much he loves you. You are more loved than you want to be. Your precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. So the cross needs to remain the theme of my worship. The cross must be central to our worship because worship is going back and finding the value. Feel that, the value of God's love for me. The value of God's forgiveness in my direction. Number one, I look back at the cross and that's what I get. Number two, I look up. That's the next place you look. I look upward to my father's loving face. I look upward to my father's loving face. That's a good place to start too. Uh, let me tell you why. We talked about this last week. I focus on the fact that God wants me to see him as a father. Disciples said to Jesus, Lord teach us how to pray. And Jesus began the prayer by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Big, big, big lesson there. Big lesson there. This is Jesus saying, this is how God wants you to perceive him. This is how he wants you to come to him. 
There's two big truths here. One, he wants you to come to him as his child, our father, our father. And then the second part is come to him with the understanding that he's a perfect father and he's nothing like your father. Because that's what keeps most people from coming to God. Their inability to reconcile, their inability to run into a father's arms that they do not recognize, that they are threatened by, that they are worried by, that they are that they fear. So he says, our father who art in heaven, not on earth. Got it? Our father who art in heaven. So Jesus asks you to pray, our father. If you make this one change, I hope you're listening. If you make this one change, that is the way you begin your prayer. The way you start, the way you look up at the Father, the, the connection point, that's the phone number. The way you make that connection will determine the rest of your prayer. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? The way you begin determines, I'm walking around in the mall and somebody calls me from behind. If somebody calls me from behind, oh Jerry! I just know that someone from Satyaniketan from my, you, you know, from my teenage days. I'll say, Pastor Jerry! Or if someone says, Reverend Dawson, we got it, Bob, you go now here with me. Immediately, immediately, you know what? The, pe- people pick up the phone, and the way they first introduce themselves, immediately that sets the tone for what I'm going to talk about, how I'm going to talk to them, how I'm going to respond to them. Last week we had a good laugh about that, how irritating that is when people, people pick up the phone, praise the Lord. I don't think so. First tell me who you are and which Lord. <laughs> I look up at the Father, I look up at the Father and I get my depth, my tone from that reality. People pray in such weird ways. They approach God with such a weird kind of an opening line. It's like you're taking a lie detector test or something like that. Or you're setting yourself up for a loan. Or I don't know how they come in with the weirdest kind of a... They use the word really a lot. I really pray. Really? What do you do at other times? I just ask you, Lord, I just ask you. The other time was... Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. You should not like, you should not act like cowering, fearful slaves. Ooh, wow. You should not act like what? Cowering, fearful slaves. Why? Since God's Spirit has adopted you as children, as sons into God's family. That means you are legal heirs of everything that God owns. When you walk into God's family, you don't just walk in as an adopted refugee. You walk in as a son. You have now access to everything that he has and you have access to him as father. You have equal binding with the other children in the family. Do you get this? You have equal access to God like the other children. God has given you that sense. Come in, come in boldly, come in speaking words of, 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 of affection. By his spirit, we simply cry out. We cry out, what? Abba, Father. And God's spirit affirms that. He, deep inside, he gives us that assurance. Yep, 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 yep. You're right, you're right, you're fine. You're, you're okay, go in, scream it out. He's your dad. He's your father. He's your dad. This verse, if you should learn a passage of scripture, it should be this. It should be this. And the spirit of God confirms, he affirms that we really are his children. Since we are now God's children. Say that again. Since we are now God's children, we are also heirs with Christ and also share in his suffering and his glory. You are in, brother. 
you are in. You are so in. What you think God is like determines how you pray. Listen to last Sunday's message to, have, to know more about that. If you think God is an uninterested creator, you'll pray like that. If you think he's an unpleasable deity, you'll pray like that. If he's an untouchable stranger, you'll pray like that. Let me tell you three things God wants your prayers to be. God wants my prayers to be personal. He wants my prayers to be personal. So he gives you an intimate name to call him by. Don't just call him Father. Call him Abba, Father. The word Abba comes from a very intimate way of a child calling his father. Abba John is something we are more familiar with. But you have words like Papa. You have words like Appa. You have words like Baba, Dada, Daddy. Anything that makes it intimate. You, don't in, you introduce your father saying, this is my father. But when you go to your father, you say, Daddy. You say, Abba. You say, Father. You say, Papa. You have got another word for that. Childlike, unpretentious, honest, unassuming. Unworried about making an impress. Unworried about making your children do not need to impress you at all. They can impress everybody else. You want them to impress everybody else, but they never need to impress you. All misunderstanding of prayer is a misunderstanding of God. If you don't know God properly, you will not pray correctly. If you don't pray correctly, you'll never enjoy God correctly. It all goes back to communication. God wants my prayers to be personal. God wants my prayers to be passionate. Put some Put some emotion into it. Don't, don't go on like this is a sales pitch. Don't go on like this is some kind of like a serious formal talk and you're dying to get out of his presence. Enjoy his presence. Just enjoy being there. And when you speak to him, put some emotion into it. Don't be afraid to put that emotion to it. Why are we so stoic when it comes to prayer, when it comes to worship? We sit straight, act straight, talk straight like someone has given us an a anesthetic or something like that. And we're just like so stiff. Is, do we think that's reverence? Do your children behave like that? If they came and they're like... If they did that to us, I'm like, son, are you, are you okay? Should I call an ambulance? What, what, what just happened? Honey, look, he died. <laughs> and he's still standing up. We get worried when we don't see emotion coming out of our children. And you want that. You want them to cry. You want them to... Ex and, and when it comes to us and praying, oh my Lord. And I mean it, my Lord. So God wants personal. God wants passionate. Children cry out and they don't care where they are. In the mall, it's annoying. Daddy, 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 shut up in the mall. This is not your bedroom. On the plane, right from the toilet to the back, the father sitting at the back, mother has gone to talk to some other auntie over there. He's at the there. They don't care. Why do they not care? I'm calling my father. This is between my father and me. Tera kya problem hai? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Children don't care. They become, what is the right word? For, what am I looking for? They, 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 they become inhibited. Uninhibited. Un. 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 Uninhibited. 
Got it? God wants me to cry out. Sometimes you've got to get to a place where, God, I have to have this. Have to have it. Say it at least twice. And number three, a partnership. It's got to be a partnership with the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Do you know that when you pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you? Do you know that when you pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you? And this is interesting because the Holy Spirit is God. Would you agree with me? So we believe in the Trinity. We have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. So when the Holy Spirit is praying with us, God is basically talking to himself. Don't you laugh at that? You do that all the time. Right now I'm talking to you and you're talking to yourself. When is this guy going to finish? How long is this going to take? Why is, it, why is everybody laughing? I didn't get that joke. What is going on? Yeah? Sometimes when you're talking to me after church, sometimes when you're talking to me in, in other situations, and while you're talking to me, I'm looking at you, I'm listening to you, but I'm praying for you at the same time. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for that very problem at the same time. I don't want to talk about it. I'll forget it later. So I'm praying for you. So I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to my father. I'm praying at the same time. You do it. I do it. The Holy Spirit does that. And there it goes into a community conversation. So God the Father, through Jesus Christ, you're praying. The Holy Spirit is talking to God on your behalf. And between the four of us, there's total sense. It makes total sense. Even the groanings that cannot be uttered, even the pain of our heart, even the moments of exasperation, even the depth and sorrow of, of abandonment, rejection, when you feel absolutely all alone, in that moment you can hang on a cross and you can scream, Father, why have you forsaken me? You can do that. It's a prayer. By his spirit, God invites you to pray along with him. God is talking to himself about you while you're talking to God about you. There's two people talking to God about you. Romans chapter 8, look at the screen, verse 26. Also the Holy Spirit helps us with our weakness. We often do not know how to pray. Whoa, big surprise there. We often do not know how to pray as we should. But, circle that but, is the greatest one Conjunction in the Bible. But the Spirit himself speaks to God for us. Even begs God on our behalf. With deep groanings and feelings that words cannot express. Because your loving Father understands. Your loving Father understands. You often don't know what to pray. You often don't know how to pray. Uh, and often you have a hard time expressing yourself to your Father. Mummy to tige, no problem. Mommy, you just go into her arms and you just cry, you snort, you do whatever, and somehow she just figures you out. But we all struggle to talk to our fathers. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> we all struggle because different cultures, different situations, different personalities, different upbringings, distant, close, whatever, we have struggled to connect with our dads. And that will continue to be a struggle. So God has given you the Holy Spirit to ensure that he fills the gaps. Because God doesn't want any gaps between you and him when it comes to communication. There are prayers that are loud and there are prayers that are silent. There were many, many times when my son would run into my arms and have nothing to say. Absolutely nothing to say. Because you don't run to your father just because you got something to say. Are you like that? Do you run to God only when you have something to say? Only when you run into a problem? Only when you have a need? Only when you get hurt? Do you run to God only when that? Or do you just run to God just to be there? 
What happened, son? Nothing. Do you need something? No. Dad is busy right now. Okay. What is he doing? Honey, what's he doing over here? He just wants to be with you. Oh. He just wants to be with you. Is your fellowship with God, is your prayer life, I just want to be with you, just checking in with you, God, just hanging out with you, God? Because if I have to talk all the time, that will be pretty intense. Pretty boring, actually. I don't have so much to talk about also. First of all, you know everything. <laughs> and then you also know I'm like. <laughs> so what do I do? Lord, let me just hang out here. Let me hang with you. I look back at the cross. I look up to the Father. Number three, I look inward. I look inward to Jesus living inside me. Remember, Jesus isn't just in heaven. His spirit lives in you. He's as close to you as you. He says, I will send the spirit. He will be with you and he will be in you. And the spirit of God is connected to the Lord Jesus. He's connected to the Father. So there's the Trinity all active living inside you. You have connection to the entire Trinity. That's a sermon on its own. But I'll talk about it later. So since I am unconditionally accepted by the, Holy Fa- by, the, by the Heavenly Father, it gives me the freedom and the courage knowing that He loves me. He's paid my debt because I look back at the cross. He's, he's, he's asked me to be His son because now I'm His father. Now that I have complete and total access to Him, here's what I do. I come clean and I come courageously because I know there are no pointed fingers towards me. Did you get that? Did you get that? You're not going to come into the, in the presence of the Father and the first thing he's going to say, I heard about that. I have a bone to pick with you. Come here, I have something to talk about. Mommy said this. Who broke that? That's not how it's going to start. That's not how it starts with God. When you walk into God's presence, you can be sure that you can be honestly honest about your faults. You can honestly face your faults. Because you have them. I have them. Examine yourself, it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourself to see if your faith is real. Examine yourself to see if your faith is growing. Test yourself. Remember that Jesus is living in you. Unless, of course, you fail that test of inviting him into your life. So if you've invited him into your life, examine, examine, examine. Would anyone want to be a better person? Of course. If that's the case, then we've got to examine ourselves. You can't be a better person without dealing with what's bitter in your life. You can't be a better person without dealing with what's bitter in your life. Before I can get better, I need to deal with what's bitter. And there is a lot of bitterness in my life. I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm dealing with a lot of brokenness in my life. I'm living with the brokenness of my flesh. Living with the brokenness of my eyes. Living with the brokenness of my ears. Living with the brokenness of my heart and feelings. My, my will, my ego. Everything is constantly either pushing me forward or dragging me back. And the Bible says, if you try to hide your sins, you will never succeed. Look at that verse. If you try to hide your sins, you will never succeed. But if you humbly confess and reject them, turn away from them, you will receive mercy. You will, you will, receive, you will receive mercy. Is the guarantee there? You will receive mercy. Who writes your check before you give forward a bill? Who <laughs> Which father gives you money before you ask for you will receive mercy. God already knows what you need to work on. He already knows your brokenness. But when you come clean, he gives you mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is the ability to deal with that without the fear of rejection and the fear of punishment. That's mercy. 
And once you work through that, it takes you to a whole different level, a whole different level of intimacy. I'm going to say something that's going to hurt. <clears throat> Either it's going to hurt the father, it's going to hurt the child. But here's the truth. A lot of fathers and children are not close because the father doesn't correct the children. And here's what happens. A father recognizes that a child has gone wrong, a son has gone wrong, and a daughter has gone wrong. When the father corrects that child, and the father has been given the heavenly father's authority to do so, when he corrects that child, there is a moment of awkwardness, there's a moment of brokenness, there's a moment of conflict. And in that moment, authority takes over, responsibility takes over, the child is subordinate to that correction. And when the child is corrected, then the child accepts that correction. After the child accepts that correction, the child receives mercy, hug, absolution, resolution, and then the relationship becomes closer. The relationship becomes closer. But fathers who sit there, still reading their newspapers or reading their whatever, looking out the window or thinking, looking at their phones, hands in their pocket, just that nod of disapproval. You are a disappointment, you'll always be a disappointment. The fellow doesn't know what he's done wrong. He doesn't know where he went wrong. He didn't know how he did, he doesn't know how to get right. He doesn't know how to make this okay. Because in that moment, all he wants is to be okay with the father. But the father has cut him off because the father doesn't want to deal with the correction. Doesn't love him up because every father who loves his child disciplines his child, the Bible says. He does that. And when he does that, he goes through the pain of conflict. He goes through the pain of correcting them. It results in closer intimacy. God wants to correct you. God wants to correct you when you go wrong, at the time you go wrong, if you go wrong. And the reason he does that is because he is brave enough, loves you enough, courageous enough to work through the conflict of those few seconds of embarrassment, that bitterness, that brokenness, heal you, give you the mercy, and then you are closer to him. Because God doesn't want distance, he wants intimacy. So when your heavenly father has pushed, when your earthly father has pushed you away, or whatever experience you've had where, where, where your brokenness has not been dealt with, your sin has not been dealt with, your, your naughtiness has not been dealt with, what happens is a distance between the father and the son. So children become even more naughtier. They become even more naughtier. I want your attention. I want your attention. Give me your attention. Cry out because they want you dealing with them, even if it's your anger. At least in your anger, you're looking at them. I told you this was going to hurt. So why does God want you to come clean with him? Because you and I have got that very bad, you know, derogatory picture of sin means walking down that corridor, going to a confession booth, or going into these prayers of long confessions, working through the sins of all, and Lord, I did this, and Lord, I did that. And it's a very ugly sort of a courtroom trial sort of, you know, prayer experience. And No, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like, Dad, I'm so sorry I screwed up again. God, I'm so sorry I did that. Oh, Lord, again I did it. What is going on? And you cried. You deal with it. You deal with it. You deal with it. There's nothing you can tell God he doesn't already know. He needs to tell you stuff you don't know. And when you allow him to work through that courage, work through that conflict, you end up closer to God. Prayer is that process, is that counseling, that therapy that gets you closer to God. Look around you, number four, look around you. So you look backward to the cross, you look upward to the Father, you look inward to Jesus, you look closer, you look closer to yourself. I look around and ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, use me, use me. So instead of criticizing, instead of complaining, instead of judging, instead of whining, instead of blogging, ask God, God, use me. Make me useful, make me 
usable. Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Give yourself. Would you, would you underline that please? Two words. Beautiful words. Give yourself. I was telling the men this in Waterline yesterday morning. Waterline is our men's ministry where we are promising to give our wives and our families dangerously good men. You heard of dangerous evil? These are dangerously good men. You should watch, watch them walk out of their hall. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's actually the alu paratha, but we had a great time yesterday. What, where was I? Alu paratha. Huh? Give yourself. I was talking about how we need to be willing to just lay it out there. Give us and make ourselves available. Connect with the vision. Connect, own, the, own the direction of this church. Give yourself completely to God. Every part of you since you've been given a new life. You've been given a second chance. You've been given another way. You've been given another shot. Dude, give yourself completely to God. You want to be used as a tool in the hands of the Father. Used for His good purposes. Every man wants to have his marching orders from the one who really has authority over his life. Every man's asking this question, who's talking, who's asking, who wants to know? Who gave you the right over my life? And in that moment, when you drop to your knees and you say, my Lord and my God, that's when life begins. That's when the sacrifice begins. That's when a man is willing to give anything. He's willing to give his life for the master, for the commander in chief, for his captain, for anything. A man is made like that. He's built to give himself, but he has to be convinced that it'll be worth it. Give yourself, he says, completely to God. Every part of you, since you've been given a new life, you want to be used. How? As a tool in the hands of God. Everybody wants to be used. Everybody gets used by a tool in somebody's hands. But this is give yourself completely, every part to complete to God, so that you can be used as a tool in the master's hands, in the hands of God. When God gets a hold of you, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Because everything God does, he does which is good because he's a good God. Everything God does, he does. He blesses because what he made was good and therefore he blesses it. So when God takes you up into a tool, as a tool in his hands, whatever you do, he will bless and he will bless through you. And your life will be a blessing and it won't be anything about you at all. Give yourselves completely to God. The world is waiting for your contribution. The world is waiting for you to give up a self-centered, self-adoring adoring life. A life of just one car, two cars, one wife or the other way around. The world is waiting for you to get it that God has packed you with something far greater, far greater, far greater, fifth dimensional. That's why men get busy. That's why men get busy. That's why they, they, they try and commit everywhere because they want to be used. They want to be multifaceted. They want to have an investment wherever possible. I get that. I get that. But here's the problem. You give it to men. Don't give it to men. Men weren't made to rule you. God is made to rule you. And when you give it to God, God then gives you the places to invest, the people to invest, and the purposes to invest in. If you want to be used, if you want to be used. So the world is waiting. People are waiting. Your wife is waiting. Your children are waiting. For a good man. In the hands of God. People need you. The church needs you. 
The best place to start is the church, the church family. <laughs> because the best place to start responsibilities, we teach our children, this is the best place to start responsibilities, is the room, better take the plates, better make sure that the front door is locked, better clean up the thing. Say, so why do I have to do that? Responsibility. When you take responsibility for somebody, you take responsibility away from them. So you let them do it. Give them jobs. Give them responsibility. Let them break the plate. Let them break the plate. Teach them what happens when you drop a plate. Out of cockiness. Worst thing, worst case scenario, you'll get another trip to the mall where you get to see another spoiled kid make a scene of himself there. Start at the church, start with the family. Start in church, say, Pastor, how can I serve? Where can I give my time? How much time you got? Two hours? Good, we'll work with that. Five hours? Good. I've, got a, I've got a team working back at the office that their job is to orchestrate the time and availability of the members of the church so that they can get them ministries to do. That's their work. I told them, don't do the ministry and don't take the ministry away from God's people. It belongs to them, but you organize everything in order to support them so that they can do the ministry. The best launch pad is the church family. If you don't know what I'm talking about and how to get involved in ministry, come to the 301 class, to the ministry class, and we'll teach you how God has shaped you for ministry. S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. We'll teach you how God has shaped you for ministry. We'll find you a ministry that is perfect for you. Fifth dimension, number five, I look forward to the future in my faith. I look forward to my future in faith. I look forward to my future in faith. So now you're talking to God about the future. Now it's really getting exciting because you have no idea. You know the sun is going to rise tomorrow. You're pretty sure about that. But you don't know if you'll see it because you know about the rain situation. Right? And in Delhi everything has to do with the rain situation. As soon as the sun, uh, raindrops start coming, Delhi eyes run for cover. We're like, Pastor, I can't come. It's raining. Okay, mermaid. This is the exciting part where you start talking to God about stuff that only he can control. Time, future, plausibilities, possibilities. Father, what should I prioritize on my list? I don't know what's coming up. What decision should I make? I don't know. Who should I contact with that could help me out here? What should I say at that meeting, at that program? I'm about to meet a friend, I'm about to meet somebody. There's going to be a conflict situation. We need to resolve this. God, give me the wisdom. God, this is not about me. This is not about me. This is not about me. Help me to give. Help me to serve. Help me to mend. You pray. You pray about the future. The future meeting up at your office place. The new employee you want to employ or you don't want to employ. The new situation in the, at the workplace or the new clients or the new uh, opportunities coming up. The lack of opportunities and the lack of clients coming up and the need for business development. You pray about that. You pray about that. Oh, but God doesn't know. Yes, he does. But God is just only interested in spiritual life and my wife. No, God made your business and he can close it just as soon. God owns everything. God owns every trust, every business, every company, everything. The only thing he's not interested in is money. Because that's not coming to heaven. 
So God has business principles that don't involve money. Think about that. God has business principles that don't involve money. You foolish servant. You knew that I was a slave master. You knew that I want an increase. That I want wealth developed, created. You knew that I want productivity and fruitfulness. How could you not invest? Some interesting lessons there. Lord, what should I do? Where should I go? You know, the, the business books, and the, they, they talk about a mastermind council. Have a mastermind council. Have some coach. Read books. Mentor box. $7 a month. Here's all the books you can have on, on coaching. I've subscribed. I read books on business, on health, on plants, on all sorts of things. I, 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 get, I read articles on everything. Because I'm just bored. Did I say that out loud? Oh, okay. So the master council says you need to have a coach in your life. I suggest the Trinity. I suggest the Trinity. And do you know how the Trinity coaches you? Book, leather bound, in English, in your hands, every day, right here. Everything you need to know about life and godliness, right here in your hands. Oh, it's quite irrelevant. It's just, you know, it's Bible. I don't, know. I, I don't know where my Bible is. I, you can download it. <laughs> the more you get into this book, the more confident you'll be. The more you get with God, the more confident you'll be. The more you say Abba, the more confident you'll be. The more you deal with the bitter, the more better you'll be. The more closer and time you just hang with God, the more clear you'll be. The more you, you pray about the future, the more confident you'll be about the future because you know that the only one who is there is informing you and leading and guiding you. I'm confident of this. Where does that come from, guys? Where does confidence come from? Paul says, I am confident of this. Philippians 1.6 That God who began a what work? A good work. In where? Me. I'm confident that the God who began a good work in me will continue to complete it until the day of Christ. So what I'm confident about is God's the only one who's actually going to finish the task. And that task is in me. And I'm the good job well done. So God is at work in me. And you have submitted yourself to the work of God. Listen very carefully, I'm about to land this plane. God is at work in your life and you have submitted yourself to that work. He's at work in your life and you are submitted to that work in your life. With his, and he's working on his plan in you. On his plan in you. And you're working together in submission to him. You cannot work together without talking to each other. Chef Ramji said that. Communicate, you communicate. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying yes to, but yes, chef. Communicate, communicate. Talk to each other because teamwork requires communication. You break down communication, everything falls apart. A team that wins is a team that learns to communicate well, not just are brilliant at their skills. When you and God are working on the greatest work, that is your life, I repeat. When you and God are working on the greatest work, and that is your life, His work in you. God could have been doing a hundred thousand more things, but His work, His greatest work is in you. And when God goes to work in you, number one, number one criteria to, for success is communication. God wants you to talk. Let's talk this. Let's talk this. You're not talking to me. You're not talking to me. You're not hearing me. Come on, let's do this. Men, 
Women, children, come on. Prayer. It's not religion. It's communication for life success. It's communication for life success. So, there are three types of people in this room. There are those who are struggling with their fathers and need to forgive them and get back to their heavenly father and work that out. There are those who are struggling with bitter, bitter things in their life. There's sin in your life and you need to get right. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ and say, today I make you the Lord of my life, the CEO of my life because I need a relationship with God the Father. If he loves me so much, I need a relationship with God the Father. And God the Father, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. I, I acknowledge that Jesus is the way to the Father. So Jesus, come into my life and set me right with my, with my Father. I need to be back all right with my Father. And some of you are saying, I have a great prayer life, but there's so much more I want to pray about. There's so much more I want to do with my prayer life. I want my prayer life to drive. I want my prayer life to be that extra super diesel, super petrol. I want my life to really be driven. And I want that confidence that Paul's talking about. So I can look at the future and not be worried. I can enjoy the present because I'm not worried about the future. Because I prayed it up. I've submitted it to his plan. Wherever you fall in that category. Will I, can I pray for you? So bow your head before the throne of grace. God is in this place right now. You don't need an idol, you don't need a force, you don't need a feeling. God is in this place right now and he is ready to answer your prayer. He's ready either to welcome you back into his arms in a father relationship. He's ready to forgive your sin and begin to work with your brokenness and bitterness. He's ready to take you to another new level in your prayer life. And whatever decision you make, mark it on the card and let me know so that I can be in prayer for you and give you the support that's required. Heavenly Father, you're amazing. You are amazing. And nobody has loved me like you have. You created the world. You put all the stars in place. You put this ginormous creation in place. Five dimensions and possibly more. And all of it is just eh, your creation that you spoke into existence. And your focus is on me. The work you're currently doing is in me. The greatest price you ever paid was for me. I want to get right with you. I want to get right with you. I acknowledge Jesus' words that it was true. That no man comes to the Father but by me. So I acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. And I ask Jesus to set me right with the Father. And I want a relationship with you and I want to start praying today about everything, all five dimensions. I want a relationship with you that's new. Lord, I've struggled with faith. Give me new faith. Lord, I've struggled with feelings. Oh God, give me truth. I want to take it to another level with you, oh God. I want to find great new confidences and boldness in you. Today I offer you my life. I make a pledge, a covenant with you that you made in blood with me 2018 years ago. Today I sign that deal. Today I will belong to Jesus and Jesus alone and he will be my CEO, my boss, my captain. He will be the one who has the authority on my life. He is the one that I will not question and I will prioritize him above every other authority. And all that I have is yours. I choose to completely give myself to you, every part of me.
Father God, for those who have said this prayer with a genuine heart, any aspect of this prayer, or they've prayed their own prayer, oh God, would you seal it in the name of Jesus. Amen.